We've been uh, in a series on uh, spiritual warfare. And uh, this morning we're going to see quick video that's an overview of a book that I'm going to recommend if you've never read it, you should read it. This is just a large edition that I have. It's called The Screw Tape Letters. Screw Tape Letters written by C.S. Lewis. And uh, it, it is, as you're going to see in this quick overview, it's a Christian writer. So this video will express things from a Christian perspective, but the truths are good for everybody. For all those who confess faith in Messiah Yeshua, you need to listen intently to what he's going to say and personally consider its impact on your lives. This morning we're going to be talking about how the evil one and the demonic forces influence believers. So that's the setup for the video. Why is it that a lot of Christians are curious in learning about the demonic? I don't know, but here's one of the best demonic studies of all time. In the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis masterfully teaches in reverse. He brings out a demonic point of view to enforce a biblical point of view. He calls it diabolical ventriloquism. In the book Screwtape, the head demon writes 31 letters to advise Wormwood, his protege, on how to tempt the human Wormwood watches. I'm going to give you just some of those letters. In the prologue, Lewis makes it clear that demons don't really care about a human's conception of time. They have watched humans far longer than any average human life. They know us better than we know ourselves. Letter 1. Make the human preoccupied with ordinary, real life. Not arguments or science. In other words, the demonic is going to attack us by influencing our emotions and feelings. It is important to note at this point that the human becomes a Christian between letters 1 and 2. Letter 2. Make him disillusioned with the church by highlighting people he thinks are strange or hypocritical. Therefore, the human will come to think he is better than the church, which is full of just weirdos. Letter 3. Annoy him with daily nagging conversations from his mother. Letter 4. Keep him from seriously intending to pray at all, and if that fails, subtly misdirect his focus to himself or on an object rather than the enemy. The enemy in this book is God. Letter 6. Capitalize on his uncertainty. Divert his attention from the enemy to himself and redirect his malice to his everyday neighbors and his benevolence to people he doesn't even know. Letter 7. Keep him ignorant of your existence and make him either an extreme patriot or an extreme pacifist who regards his cause and his case only as the most important aspect within Christianity. Letter 8. Make good use of your patient's series of lows and highs and beware that the enemy, which is God, relies on the bad times more than the good times. Letter 9. Capitalize on the tough periods of the human's life by tempting him with sensual pleasures, especially sex, making him content with his moderate religion and directly attacking his faith as merely a phase of his life. Letter 10. Don't underestimate the power of very small sins, because the safest road to hell is the gradual one. Letter 16. Encourage the human to church hop. Letter 18. Here's an interesting one. Convince him that the only respectable ground for marriage is being in love. Letter 20. 
Don't give up if your direct attacks against his chastity fails. Try to arrange a worldly marriage. Letter 21. Convince him to use the pronoun my in the fully possessive sense of ownership, like my time, my boots, my wife, and my God. Be sure to comment about what you think about this one below. Letter 23. Encourage him to embrace a historical Jesus and to treat Christianity as merely a means of political sides and social justice. Letter 30. Capitalize on his fatigue and manipulate his emotions with the word real. Letter 31. His end isn't up to us, Wormwood, but we must do everything we can to win him over. Comment below what you know about the screw tape letters or anything you'd like to share about C.S. Lewis. If you like this video, please share it with a friend and don't forget to subscribe to my channel. Have an awesome day. All right, how many of you have read the screw tape letters? Anybody? All right, if you haven't read it in the last five or seven years, go read it. The reason I say that is because I personally believe that our synagogue has been under attack, satanic attack. I can give lots of details, I'm not going to do it all here. I'll give you one example. In all the years that uh, we've been uh, you know, meeting and recording of videos and all this stuff, uh, the recording last, year on, last week on Satan was bizarre, absolutely bizarre. So uh, without going into too much detail about how bizarre it was and how it ended up getting recorded and all the details... I've still, to this moment, have not been able to get it uploaded onto our website. It, it seems to be impossible. Now, I'm saying that you may say, well, come on, you know, it's, I'm sure there's some circumstance. Yeah, well, did you just read that video? Are you the cynic? <clears throat> we live in a reality that is comprised of both physical and spiritual beings, those who submit to God and his authority and those who have rebelled against him. Do you really believe in the supernatural? Do you really believe in the supernatural? Folks, we live in a supernatural reality. Several years ago, a buddy of mine, who was now getting a PhD in, in basically in witchcraft, <laughs> through Southern, had an event. He was teaching on this topic. This has to go back, I don't know, 12 years ago or something. And uh, in his church, probably about 200 people or so in the room, I was not there, but he told me all about it, all right? And he had a special speaker come who was involved in, in uh, teaching on the issues of the demonic. And this guy, interestingly enough, was a little flippant and arrogant. And toward the end of his sermon, he literally called out for the demonic in the room to expose himself. And the whole room exploded. It was so bizarre, they immediately destroyed the recording because people in the congregation, some manifested Demonic influence. People he knew. People, it was, it was just an amazing, it was horrific from his perspective. He's not a charismatic, he's not a Pentecostal. He's a Baptist type guy. Do you realize we live in a spiritual reality? Do you recognize that you can be influenced by the demonic? You may say, well, I'm under grace. We're going to talk about that. We live in a reality comprised of both physical and spiritual beatings. Those who submit to God and his authority and those who have rebelled against him. Do you understand that even we as followers of Messiah Yeshua can be influenced by spiritual beings opposed to God 
and even used by them. We're going to first talk about Satan. Somebody said this to me in the last few days when I was, when I was down in uh, Arizona. I said, this is great. You know that Satan acts against God's followers as a prosecuting attorney. You know that, right? Now, I, I was talking with somebody in the room who will go unnamed. And he said, all that flipping around pages and verses. I was just getting confused. So I'm not going to make you do that. Instead, I want you, if you don't have, you guys have sheets of paper over here. I want you, encourage you to take this out, grab a pencil, and t- write some verses down. And if you don't like what I'm saying, I want you to talk to me afterwards. Satan acts as a prosecuting attorney. That's what he does. That's how we see him. Take a look. You can see it up there. The very first example, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. You can write it down. Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 10. Here we see Satan accusing Joshua because he was sinful. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, stand before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Then the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Interesting reference from earlier's book of uh, early reading um, in the text. Here we have Satan accusing Yahushua of being sinful. He's being sinful. It's interesting. Anybody here without sin? We're all sinful. To think that Satan, the evil one, stands before God and points out the believers who are living in sin and saying, you know what? He's out of line. You've got to give me a piece of him. You may say, well, that seems a little bit odd. Well, let's take a look at the next passage. Job chapter 2. Here you have a righteous person. Again, there was a day when the sons, this is chapter 2, last week we talked about chapter 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. 
So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women who would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. So here we have, interestingly enough, Satan is accusing Job because he was righteous. First instance, Satan accusing Yahshua because of his sinfulness. Here, Job is being accused because he is righteous, because Satan is questioning his integrity in regards to his righteousness. It's only because, God, you're so nice to him that he serves you. Anybody here really trying to live your life for God? Anybody trying to live your life for God? Any of you guys? I'm not seeing much response. I know I'm trying to live my life for God. Do you know Satan is accusing you before God? Yeah. In a sense, you should say, well, comes with the territory. And God will allow Satan latitude. Why do bad things happen to good people? We live in a broken world. The world's sinful. It's a great play Thursday night, Bob... Barrett and it suggested this. A bunch of us went to go see Shana Madela. Why were our people killed? You know, there were righteous people killed. You know, about 10% of all the Jews killed in the Holocaust were Jews who believed in Jesus. You know that, right? Recent statistics, somewhere around 200,000 or so Jewish people in Europe. One third, anyway. But uh, you don't think that some of the Jews that died were actually good people. They didn't have a faith in Yeshua. This is true. But as Paul would say, they have a zeal for the Lord, but they lack the knowledge of Yeshua. Why were they destroyed? Because Satan hates our people. Remember we talked about that? God gave him some latitude. Certainly our people were destroyed in Europe because of man's sinfulness. But never forget, Hitler was a satanic individual, a pagan in his understanding. Satan worked right through him because Satan hates our people. Take a look at the next passage, though. Here we got Luke. Satan accusing Peter because he was weak. It's an amazing passage, all these are, but I'm going to just read two verses from it. Yeshua says, Simon, Simon, behold, uh, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Think about that. You know, this is, this is in that section where, where Yeshua is preparing to basically die, and, and Peter is trying to encourage him and saying, I'm with you 100%. But the evil one knows where we're at. We, Peter was really weak. And he denied him and said, yeah. And you know what? It's interesting. Satan's demand. Well, you just say, well, this is just figurative. No. Why? Look what the text says. Satan's demanding the opportunity to sift him. In other words, to stress him. We have to understand Satan acts against God's followers as a prosecuting attorney. You have sin in your life that you're allowing to just be there. You're giving Satan an opportunity to stand before God and accuse you. You're living a life of righteousness. Satan's going to stand before God and say, just a second, I'll bet you that if. 
But also, if we're going through our lives and we are being weak, Satan will also accuse us in those moments and try to take advantage of them. Be aware of this. Satan is the accuser. That's who he is. I want to talk about the fact that Satan directly influences believers. It's interesting. The Greek word that is used throughout the New Testament text in regarding uh, um, demonic influence, and I'm not going to give you the Greek because nobody really cares, but it has to do with, the word is demonize. So demonize, which basically means to, to come under the power influence of the demonic, the evil spirits, the, you know, the fallen angels, these spiritual beings, to come under their influence. Here we again see a series of texts. <clears throat> First is, again, Peter. Mark chapter 8, Yeshua rebukes Peter. He says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after th- three days rise again. And he said this plainly. He's flat out saying to his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And Peter, because he's Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him. What chutzpah, chutzpah, but what love. I'm sure that Peter, his motivation is love. But Yeshua turns to him, seeing his disciples. So he turns to Kepha, to Peter, but seeing the other disciples, that's important. And he rebukes Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Why did he say that? Two things. One, he... He just contradicted Yeshua. That's why he had to stand up to him at that moment. He saw the other disciples, and he had just told them, I am going to die. And Kepha's like, you're not going to die. Don't talk like that. Because Kepha is contradicting him. He rebukes him publicly, and he attributes Kepha's words to Satan himself. What's the motivation? Peter just didn't want him to die for his own personal interests. You must be aware. There there are times you do and say things, and if your motivations are not purely, clearly God's, you can be someone that's being influenced by by Satan himself. You can be saying things that are good, but they're absolutely not what should be said. We have to think about that in terms of one another. When we give counsel to one another, is it prayerful counsel? Or is it really earthly, fleshly counsel? That could be coming sincerely right from Satan himself to discourage somebody and what it is that God wants them to do. Now, I think a long way back, there was a missionary, William Carey. <laughs> and William Carey wanted to go and, and preach the gospel in, in India, all right? And this is in England. <clears throat> And uh, he, he gave a presentation about it. And after it was done, an elder came up to him and said, if, if God wanted to save the heathen, he'd do it himself. It's elder. I, can't remember, I don't remember the name of the guy. But it's elder giving counsel that is absolutely earthly and fleshly. To think that Satan speaking through the altar, uh, this elder to discourage William Carey. You don't think that's possible? Why not? <laughs> I've heard counsel from believers at times that I question the integrity and the source. We have to be aware Yeshua's rebuke is something for us to consider. Take a look at this next one, Acts chapter 5. 
This one you might be familiar with. These guys, Ananias and Sapphira. Listen to this. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Wow. Satan fills their heart. What's the issue here? First of all, they're lying. They're being greedy. Well, but think about it, though. The situation here is it really greed, it's really the deception. Who is the great deceiver? Satan himself. I mean, he's literally saying, listen, if you wanted to keep back part, keep back part. But you're lying. You're lying. Satan has filled your heart. There's a problem in this believer. And Satan is leading them to do something. The result is they die. The last one I want to mention is God's rebuke of Shaul. This one, listen to this. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. Uh, Shaul says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man of Messiah who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but not on my own behalf. I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should, be, uh, it, should, it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of God may, be, may rest upon me. For the sake of Messiah, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. This one's a little hard to understand except for the fact he seems in a sense to be saying, I experienced something amazing that was leading to pridefulness in me. And God allowed a spiritual being to, to in essence, remind me not to boast. I think, why, why see otherwise? I know people talk about this as being a physical ailment or whatever. There's no evidence for that. We need to understand. There's someone at the door. We need to understand that we as followers of Messiah Yeshua are human. We are human. And we need to take seriously that, that 
if we're out of step with God's expectations for us, it opened doors for Satan to act. We can become demonized. We can become influenced by the demonic. That's the, 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 uh, the last part of this. <clears throat> Our own sinfulness can give Satan an opportunity to work in and through us. Our own sinfulness can give Satan an opportunity to work in and through us. A couple of examples. 1 Timothy chapter 1, talking about spiritual apathy. Shaul writes to Timothy, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made, have made shipwreck of their faith, among who are Amenius and Alexander, who I'm handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Pretty tough. But here it seems that these two guys, Hamanaeus and Alexander, were not holding to their faith in a good conscience. They would become apathetic in terms of their spiritual growth and development. And the op- <laughs> so Shaul's approach is just turn them over to where they, had, they were at, which obviously was they were being influenced by the evil one. Interestingly enough, Ephesians 4.27 has to do with lying, giving Satan an opportunity to influence. Do you lie? Anybody here lies? I, all of us lie one way or another. But you ever thought of lying as giving an open door of opportunity for Satan to act? Take a look, Ephesians 4, 20, 25 through 27. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. But I'm taking the context here, the falsehood. There's a few instances in the text. Go back to Ananias and Sapphira. Lying was involved there as well. Do you take your lying seriously? God does. And Satan appreciates it. You know, you have to be really smart to be a liar. Because lying leads to lying, leads to lying, leads to lying, and it's a big trap. And Satan takes advantage of it. Sexual sins give Satan an opportunity to influence. 1 Timothy 5, 14-15 says, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. You notice in the C.S. Lewis script that uh, and it's, there's a guy involved, but do you notice how often women are involved? I know so many young women who, who, who end up getting negatively impacted in their relationship with God because they just want to marry a guy. Same for guys marrying women, all right? I'm not even getting to the fact that immorality among believers is ridiculous. Now, if we profess faith in the God of the Scriptures, we need to do what the Scripture says. And sexual immorality of any and all kind and sexual, uh, in, sexual actions inconsistent with the biblical text open a door of opportunity for satanic influence. I don't have to talk here about homosexuality, which is obviously off the derrick when it comes to the biblical text. All sexual activity outside of marriage, where married people are a man and a woman, according to the biblical text, all of that is is wrong. Inconsistent with God's expectations. Also would include anything you may watch on TV, or on your phone, or on the internet, or what you may read. You read stuff that charges you sexually. It's inconsistent. You shouldn't be doing that. 
give Satan an opportunity. Have you noticed all of the ridiculous stuff going on in our world? I am convinced that a chunk of the sexual immorality and the perversion that's going on, a lot of it is just satanic in origin because people are opening themselves up. It's leading to all kinds of horrible things. This is one text, 1 Timothy 5, but if you go to 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Timothy 2, you can see, too, the same things. There's a, there's a few of these, actually. All right? 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Timothy 2. Two more. We talked about this a little bit last week. Pride gives Satan an opportunity to influence us. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Remember back we talked about, from about Ezekiel and Isaiah related to the king of Babylon and the king of Tyre. And pride. Pride. God was coming against them for pride and comparing them to Satan. To Satan. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Humility, pride, is an open door of opportunity. Are you prideful? What does that mean? Pride doesn't have to be overt. It doesn't have to be, I am wonderful. Pride can be false humility. Thinking that you're just better than other people, even though you would never say that. I love that, that again, that video. It's great. Go see if you can Google it on your own. But, you know, thinking you're better than other believers. Elevating yourself, thinking you're smarter, better looking. I don't know. Satan uses pride. Satan uses pride to cause all kinds of trouble in the lives of believers, but through believers it destroys relational relationships. This can destroy community. The last one is critically important, though, especially within congregational context. Relational sins give Satan an opportunity to influence us. 1 John 3, 8 through 10. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he can't, cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not, is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. <laughs> so what point is he trying to make here? Practicing sin in regards to relational connections. What? Sins? Holding anger, grudges, gossip, bad attitudes. If you have relational problems with people, it's sin. And you give Satan an opportunity. You've got to understand that. If you are someone who really holds grudges, you know, that bitterness and anger is used of Satan in different ways. If you hold anger, let it go. If someone has hurt you and they're dead, talk to a psychologist, they'll show you how to do all that. But the point is, let it go. Humble yourself. Love those around you. Genuinely be understanding of those around you. Don't talk badly about other people. If you have an attitude problem in your life toward this place, toward me, toward your parents, toward the country we live in, straighten it out. Bad attitudes don't come from God. Who do you think they come from? The evil one. 
bad attitudes come from the bad guy. And if you've had it a long time, it quite honestly could be what would be a root of bitterness in you. Think about that. Root out the bad roots. Don't let Satan have an opportunity to influence you through your relational sins. How do we fight the accusations and influences of Satan and the evil ones? James 4, 7. You may say, well, I need all kinds of, you know. Now, this is really it. Submit to God. What does that mean? God, what you say is true. And when your scripture says that this or that is truth, that I'll do. God says, don't hold, don't hold grudges. Don't, talk, don't gossip about people. Love one another. Submit to that truth. Humble yourself before God. I can almost speak like Paul. If anybody's been hurt, I've been more so. <laughs> and how do I handle it? I've got to love. I've got to humble myself. Submit to God. Resist the devil. How do you keep Satan away? Submit to God. Satan doesn't want anything to do with you if you're living your life God's way. Humble yourself. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. So, keeping in mind the following. Do you accept that we live in a reality that is comprised of both physical and spiritual beings, both good and evil, and that Satan is actively accusing you before God? That's something, you know, to be quite honest, don't hear much about. Take it seriously. To believe that right now, again, in this room are spiritual beings. God willing, all the bad guys have left. Unless you brought them in with you. You say, well, how's that possible? Yeah. As we worship the Lord our God and we praise Him, the demons flee. The Joel Chernoff song, we should sing that again. But if you really don't think about it, there's a good chance that they're hanging around you. We need to understand the reality that we live in. Do you understand that allowing sin in your life gets spirit, gives spiritual beings opposed to God influence in your life for evil? Friends, if you're watching stuff that's garbage, why would you not think that you're being influenced by the evil one? If you eat ding-dongs and Twinkies every day and you wonder why you're fat, you're just being dumb. If you don't feel close to God, I had somebody in my office sometime back say, I really don't feel close to God. And I said, well, you never show up. You never come to services. You're not reading your Bible. You know, you never express any, any spiritual interest in growing in your relationship with God. Why would you feel close to God? People like to blame God. Oh, God wants to be close with you, but, you, you know, you've got to want to spend time with Him. You've got to want to submit to Him. Read His instruction. Grow in your willingness to live your life His way. And then that last question, there is no neutrality in spiritual warfare. Tell you, it's fascinating. As we've been focusing on this and I've been preaching on this, I can honestly tell you it's just been an exciting time. God is interested in destroying God's works. I'm sorry, Satan is interested in destroying God's works. Are you a participant on Satan's side? Division. Discouragement. These are not God's objectives. These are the objectives of the evil one. Encouragement. Unity. Those are God's objectives. 
Let us, let us remember there is no neutrality in spiritual warfare. Those of us who profess to be on God's side need to be armed and prepared. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Bob Barrett next week is going to talk about encouragement and discouragement. We're going to lay these things out in the next couple of weeks. I think there's enough foundation. Questions, talk to me. Does meant to be provocative? I like provoking thought. Mostly I want to encourage you to consider where you're at in your relationship with God. Are you in relationship with God? If you don't feel close to God, because something's between you and God on your side of the equation. Submit to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. We're going to close with a couple of final songs. And as we sing, I encourage you to, to use this as an opportunity for thoughtful consideration. To really be praying in regards to your relationship with God. To identify sins that you think are blocking your relationship with God. And remember that God wants to grow his relationship with you. Are you interested in growing your relationship with him?